This is Expert Insights, Physician Views and News, a podcast with the nationally recognized physicians at the Christ Hospital Health Network. Here's your host, Melanie Cole. Our topic today is aortic aneurysm, and my guest is Dr. Jeff N. Sweeney. He's a cardiothoracic surgeon with the Christ Hospital Health Network. Dr. N. Sweeney, explain a little bit about aortic aneurysm and that there are different types. Tell us about some of the main types. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, uh, aortic aneurysm disease is a is a big problem in the U.S. still to this day. You know, more aneurysms actually rupture per year than actually get treated. So, in my mind, it's a it's an underdiagnosed problem that is uh, needs to um, you know we need to have better screening programs out there to try to figure out who uh, has these aneurysms and. Uh, who would be at risk for having a rupture from these aneurysms? There's a there's a few different types of aneurysms out there. There's a fusiform aneurysm, which is a general dilatation of the aorta. There's a saccular type of aneurysm, which is a worse kind, where you have uh, a uh, a small area of the aorta that's bulging. And then there's other aneurysms that can occur secondary to inflammation or infection. But by far, the fusiform and uh, saccular aneurysms are the most frequent. So what are some common conditions and factors that lead to it? Tell us a little bit about the pathophysiology of aneurysms. So mo- I would say that most aneurysms occur secondary to uh, what's called uh, cystic medial degeneration, which means that the wall of the actual aorta starts to degenerate over time. Most of the time, this probably occurs secondary to people smoking, and they get an increased release of uh, what's called collagenase, which is an enzyme that can break down the wall of the artery. So I would say the the, the biggest risk factor for aneurysm disease is smoking. Uh, a close second is uh, coronary artery disease, and it's probably the same factors that cause blockages to occur in the coronaries uh, cause this uh, the wall of the aorta to start to generate, and the two kind of go hand in hand. There was a study done a couple years ago called the EPIC study that looked at patients that um, you know that smoked and had uh, a history of coronary artery disease. And in those patients, they had about an 18.5% risk of having an abdominal aortic aneurysm. Wow. So risk factors notwithstanding, and certainly other you know, comorbidities, high blood pressure, are there certain genetic yeah. components to this or even gender? Yes, that's a great question. So... Um, you know, typically it's an age-related problem. So most of the time this occurs in people over the age of 55. Uh, as I said earlier, smokers are at a much higher risk. You know, males have about a four to five times increased risk than women do. And it, it's also associated with people that have high blood pressure, diabetes, or uh, coronary artery disease. Those are the biggest risk factors. Um, as far as it, there being a genetic component to it, there are patients that are born with congenital, um, you know, connective tissue disorders called Marfan's disease or Ehlers-Danlos disease, both of which can develop aneurysms at an early age. They typically will get their aneurysms in their 20s and 30s. 
whereas the people that get it from uh, smoking or other, you know, related diseases like diabetes or high cholesterol will get it, like I said, over their 55 or over. Um, The other issue is that there's one other familial aneurysm syndrome that can occur where you'll have a patient come in and uh, tell you that they've had multiple family members that have had aneurysms in the past. You know, so typically the patients that have connective tissue disorders and or a familial history of aneurysm disease, we would check them, we'd screen them at a much earlier age, meaning they would probably start getting screened in their 20s and 30s. Whereas most of these other patients, you know, that have, uh, you know, these other factors, you know, like smoking and or coronary disease, we would start screening them when they when they hit 55 or above. Well, let's speak about screening then, because when this could be asymptomatic, right? I mean, it's something that not necessarily someone might go in for their annual physical, and maybe they are a smoker or hypertensive and something, and you might notice something. Is there a screening and what are some of the valuable prognostic tools to aid in early diagnosis, which is really what you're looking for? Sure. I mean, absolutely. You hit that nail on the head there that these typically will grow until they rupture, you know. So that's why to this day still there's more of them that rupture per year than get them fixed, you know, and that's a, that's a very real problem because they keep, they're usually asymptomatic until it's too late. So uh, screening is the key to fixing this problem. And I think that it's probably even underreported the incidence of death from this because right now they listed at about the 10th or 11th uh, you know, uh, risk factor, you know, uh, on the scale of, uh, you know, uh, one to 20 out of things that kill people, this is listed at about 10 or 11. Um, but it may be underreported because, you know, obviously a lot of these people that die at home don't get autopsies and they blame it on some other cardiovascular thing. So, um, it, but, but it is a real problem and, and screening is the key. So in typically what we do here at the Christ Hospital is anyone that's over 55 or 60 that has a smoking history or has a history of coronary disease or has a history of uh, high cholesterol or diabetes, then we recommend that they start screening at that point, you know. So um, we have a screening program here at the Christ Hospital where you can get screened for $29.99, which is basically at cost. And we... Um, uh, so, so we we screen the carotids, the uh, abdominal aorta, the lower extremities are checked for blockages, and then we do a, a, a rhythm strip to check for a, uh, for atrial fibrillation. So when we do all those things for twenty nine ninety nine, you basically get a from head to toe vascular uh, slash uh, AFib evaluation for um, very little money. That's amazing. Twenty nine dollars to get all of that type of screening. That is absolutely fantastic. Now, as we're talking about early diagnosis, and if you do get lucky enough to find something like this early, what are some of your goals of treatment? Because I imagine the patient must feel like a ticking time bomb, and and they're not Sure. sure what their life is going to be like if this is diagnosed. So, so that's a great question. You know, m- most of the time the term aneurysm gets thrown around and there's a lot of fear associated with that terminology. It's a lot like getting diagnosed with cancer. And not all aneurysms actually have to be fixed. So typically what we do is if, you know, aneurysms are graded by size. So anything 
in the three centimeter to four centimeter range, which would be three to 3.9 centimeters, we typically would uh, advise them to get screened uh, once a year with an abdominal ultrasound to follow that. And if there's any increase in size, meaning greater than 0.5 centimeters in six months or greater than a centimeter in a year, or the aneurysm grows to greater than four centimeters, then we recommend that they see a, a cardiovascular specialist at that point. Um, we we typically do not operate on any of these aneurysms unless they're greater than five centimeters. That being said, if someone if a patient is symptomatic or the aneurysm has a very bad morphology, like a sac, like we talked about earlier, the saccular type, and it looks like they might have had a contained rupture or there might be an increased risk for rupture, then we would recommend that they get treated sooner than five centimeters. What does treatment look like? So treatment over the last you know, a couple of decades has changed significantly. Back in 1999, when I was in my surgery training, we treated all of these, 100% of them were treated op- with open surgery. Uh, in the late 1990s and early 2000s, this, there's, and there's stent technology that started to develop at that point, and it has progressed at a very rapid rate. So over the last 18 years, you know, we have gone from 100% of them being fixed open to 95 plus percent of them being fixed endovascularly with stents. And the stent technology has really progressed very, very rapidly. We're already in about the sixth generation of stents at this point where they've identified problems or concerns for, you know, uh, uh, design failures on the previous stents and they've upgraded them six separate times. So now we're we're at a stage where the design of the stents is is excellent. Um, we we have very few complications postoperatively, and they are pretty much plug and play. Where they go in there, and um, you don't really have to worry about them a whole lot after they've been uh, placed in in place. And the interesting thing about the stent technology is is that it really replicates the open surgery. In other words, when you put these in there. The stent goes in and lands in the aorta on the inside, and it basically excludes the aneurysm where the blood will only go through the stent and it doesn't go into the aneurysm anymore. When we did the open surgeries, we would do the same thing where we would open the aneurysm up and actually sew a graft on the inside of the aneurysm and then close the aneurysm over the top of the stent. And it was done that way to protect it from the stent material from the bowels in the abdomen. So you essentially get the same operation done, but it's done most of the time percutaneously now where we don't even make any incisions. And the blood loss, instead of being measured in the liters, is only measured in about, you know, 20 to 30 cc's now. So there's a dramatic improvement in the... um, in the uh, OR uh, time, the, the the trauma to the patient and the recovery time is dramatically improved, you know, where most of these patients are going home the next day. So if you're not looking to doing the endovascular stent grafting, speak just a little bit about some of the medical management, the reduced risk of ruptures and the continuity of care, how you're keeping watchful eye on these patients to see if anything changes. Sure. So most of these patients, when they when when the aneurysm shows up in the four centimeter range or higher, typically means that unfortunately their disease process will progress, and at some point they're going to probably need something to be fixed. 
The abdominal aorta is a little bit different than the thoracic aorta in that some patients may be uh, born with an aorta that's slightly enlarged. So some of those aneurysms in the chest that are in the four centimeter range may never progress to needing a surgery done. But the vast majority of the ones in the abdominal aorta that are in the four centimeter range typically will continue to grow and eventually will need something done. But obviously, we try to treat anyone that's less than five centimeters medically and to try to maximize their medical therapy to see if we can stop the progression and avoid a procedure. You know, so most of that consists of smoking cessation. Um, you know, having putting them under tight blood pressure control, where you try to keep their systolic blood pressure less than 100, you know, in the 140s or below at all times, and then avoiding any high risk type of uh, uh, activities, you know, which would be overexerting themselves in the gym, you know, lifting heavy weights. Uh, avoid, you know, doing any exercise that would cause them to profusely sweat. Um, all of those things can can reduce the the rates of uh, progression of the disease. Um, but like I said, if they if they're already in the four centimeter range, typically those will continue to progress, and we need to keep a close eye on them. Um, that's why we usually recommend that when they do get diagnosed above four centimeters, that you sh- they should be referred to one of the cardiovascular surgeons so that we can keep a close eye on things and watch it. Now, some some of these patients will be in their 80s uh, and or, or they're debilitated. And obviously, in those cases, then we would recommend, um, you know, just watching them and, and uh, treating them medically. Uh, sometimes we'll even watch them in, into the five plus centimeter range. Um, but for the vast majority of them, it usually means that they'll get end up getting fixed endovascularly at some point. Looking forward to the next 10 years in the field, what do you feel will be some of the more important areas of research? Give us a little blueprint for future research. So it's it's interesting, you know, our, our the Linda Research Center here at the Christ is very active in the aneurysm uh, research component. We are currently involved in two research trials um, that are inv- that are looking at new generations of the stents. We just finished. Uh, we were the lead enrollers in a in a in a stent trial that just finished about a year ago, and the current stent trials that we're looking at are one stent that's being developed that's going to actually have side branches that can go into the aortic arch and they can fix aneurysms that involve the aortic arch where the branch vessels go to actually go to the brain. Um, this is uncharted territory right now because obviously, you know, you can't afford to have any problems with side branches that go to the brain because it could result in a stroke. Um, but doing, you know, fixing those types of aneurysms or aortic dissections with a stent is obviously a lot easier on the patient and it it improves their recovery time. So there's no doubt in my mind that this is the wave of the future for treating uh, those those areas. And we're in the fledgling stages of looking at that right now. The other area is um, aneurysms that span from the chest down into the abdomen. They're called thoracoabdominal aneurysms. And for years, the only way to treat this up until about two years ago 
was through open surgery. And you want to talk about a morbid operation. Um, if you had to list all the different operations that are out there, this might be at the top of the list for uh, morbidity for patients, you know, and the incisions would go from their armpit all the way down to their pubic bone. And it was incredibly difficult for these people to recover from these operations. And a lot of times they would actually not be the same person afterwards. Even if they survived the operation, they wouldn't have the same quality of life and they wouldn't be the same person afterwards. Well, there's a, there's a, a friend of mine who's a bioengineer who happens to also be a vascular surgeon. We were both together, worked together in St. Louis University about uh, 18, 19 years, I'm sorry, 15, 16 years ago. And um, he developed a stent with, along with Medtronic. Medtronic actually produces the stent. And we're doing a physician-sponsored investigational device uh, trial through the FDA. Christ Hospital is only one of four other sites that ha is involved in this trial. And we're utilizing a new stent that spans from the, th from the thoracic aorta all the way down to the iliac arteries in the pelvis. And we've already fixed four of them here at the at the Christ Hospital, and we have actually four more of them on the uh, docket for uh, to be treated here in the next in May. I mean, in March and April. Wrap it up for us. What you would like other physicians to know about aortic aneurysm and when to refer. I think the biggest thing that I would like people to know is that if you have anyone with a family history of aneurysms or uh, you know, risk factors, you know, they're over 60 years old, they smoke, they have a history of coronary disease that they, all of those patients should be considered for our screening program. Um, and that would include an ultrasound of the abdomen uh, of the neck and of the lower extremities. Um, this disease continues to be a problem that's underdiagnosed, you know, and you literally will be saving lives if you check these for, for, for aneurysms in these patients. Um, anyone that's diagnosed with an aneurysm above four centimeters, you know, we would recommend that they get a surgical consultation at that point. And anyone that's less than four centimeters, we would recommend that they continue medical management with uh, tight blood pressure control and then smoking cessation. But they all, anyone that's diagnosed with any aneurysm above three centimeters needs to be followed with a yearly ultrasound to make sure that it doesn't progress. Thank you so much, Dr. N. Sweeney, for being with us today. Really great information. You're listening to Expert Insights, Physician Views and News with the Christ Hospital Health Network. More information on Dr. N. Sweeney and all of the Christ Hospital physicians is available at tchpconnect.org. That's tchpconnect.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.